0: persevere. So you're never going to get it right on the first try. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to ship the order to the wrong person. You're going to have a return come back and charge you duty. You know, you're going to post something weird on social and people won't like it. Like just, you're going to make mistakes. So just be kind to yourself and take lessons from it as much as you can and learn uh, from it. And don't be too hard on yourself because entrepreneurship is a journey. And it's never going to be easy and perfect, but it is going to be something that I feel like is incredibly valuable and enriching to your life.
1: Welcome to The Branding Lab, a workshop-style podcast focused on providing actionable advice on how to build a remarkable brand. When host Yvonne Ivanescu decided to launch her own swimwear brand, she didn't know where to start. So she went straight to the experts and the result? in-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, founders, marketing, and brand experts who have created and designed the brands we love and interact with every single day. And now she's here to share these conversations with you. Are you ready to build your brand? Then you're in the right place. All right, let's dive into this episode with your host, Yvonne. Hello, and welcome to another
2: episode of The Branding Lab. Now, today we are talking to Christy Sumer, who is the founder and CEO of Encircled, a Canadian-made line of versatile, sustainably made clothing that helps women streamline their wardrobes. And in today's episode, which I'm super excited about, we're going to be talking all about how entrepreneurs can start a business with limited Capital. Hi, Christy.
0: Hi, Yvonne. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast.
2: No problem. I'm super excited about this, about this chat that we're going to have. And so let's just dive right into it with the first question. Now, I wanted to start with uh, a little bit about yourself, a little bit mm-hmm. about your business Encircled and your brand why. So, why. so what is the reason that Encircled actually exists?
0: Well, it's actually, I'll try to condense it into a shorter story, but Encircled actually began as a travel clothing brand. So I used to be, in my career, I was a management consultant. And in that line of business, you basically live on a plane. So you fly from client site to client site every single week. So I was living out of a suitcase and I was incredibly frustrated by the lack of like sustainable, versatile, and comfortable clothing for travel. And then I just had this like epiphany moment one night when I was actually packing for a vacation to Costa Rica where you know, I was trying to shove everything into this bag. It was like way oversized. I was not doing my best to be like a savvy carry-on traveler. And then the bag (laughs) actually broke and the zipper ripped. And I realized I was totally screwed because it was four in the morning and nobody was awake. So I couldn't get another bag. I only had a tiny carry-on. So I started like just really questioning, like, why was I bringing so much stuff? And why couldn't I just have like, you know, maybe one piece that I could wear as a cardigan and then maybe a scarf and a dress? Because I didn't really need to bring like, a dozen dresses, I was going on a yoga retreat. Um, And that really sparked the idea of our first product called the Chrysalis Cardi, which is essentially an eight in one circle scarf that transforms into a dress, a tunic, a cardigan. And that was really how it started. Where we are today is a little bit different from there. We still have that product, actually. But over the years, what I really noticed from being a carry on traveler was that You know, we're not really wearing that much of our closet either. So when we travel for a few weeks, we're able to travel with just a small bag, yet at home, we have these massive closets. And when you actually look at how much you're actually wearing out of your closet, it's very few items. So I started to get really inspired by that idea of developing higher quality, ethical, sustainable, versatile pieces that people could wear from day to night, work to weekend, and feel just extremely comfortable and confident wearing. And that's where we are today. Amazing. Great. Now, I know that
2: I've, you know, I've read a little bit about your story and I know that in terms of capital, you started with very limited capital within mm-hmm. Circled. And I think that's something that I would really love to talk about because you know, the majority, I think, of entrepreneurs out there are not going to get these huge funds or they're not going to have a lot of people investing in their companies. And they're going mm-hmm. to have to be investing their own money. And a lot of people, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs has, have this question of, well, where do I invest my money? Or how much should I be investing? Or what is, like, what is that whole process? So you know, I want to talk about that, and I really think I want to have a conversation with that. But before we get into that, I actually really want to talk chat about your like brand journey mm-hmm. and how that looks like. Mm-hmm. So right after you had, you know, you said you had this aha moment that you really wanted to create Encircled. What were the key steps that you took from the moment that you launched? And how long did that take? Um, How did you go about building your brand and establishing your brand foundations?
0: Yeah. So that was definitely a bit of a long process because it really, the brand really started with the product idea, not the other way around. I never really had a vision, and some people are surprised by this, of, you know, this like big ethical fashion brand. Like I just had this product idea that I thought was really cool. And I knew that other women would really benefit from having it in their suitcase and in their closet. And I just felt so determined to get that on the market. So given my background wasn't in fashion and I have no fashion training, I can barely sew even to this day, um, just creating that product and the product development process was just a lot of work. It took probably about nine months just to figure out how to make a product how to do a pattern, how to source fabric. Um, Everything's made locally and we use all sustainable blends. So just figuring out like what's the best fabric and way to put this together, you know, that test and learn process was very long for the first product and obviously it got a lot shorter after we launched and created new products. But, that initial kind of prototyping process was pretty big. And then alongside that, I was like, well, I really need a brand to go with this product. And I started just brainstorming names and the name and circle just came to me largely because of the scarf, because it's a circle scarf. And I was just like, I wanted something that felt like, um, you know, I'm a big believer in like karma and doing you know, if you do good in the world, good comes back to you um, and giving back to the community is really important to me. So I just thought of this idea of like full circle fashion and, and circle just felt like it encompassed this idea that like we can make products that are really high quality, really beautiful at accessible price points that deliver to customers in terms of quality and comfort and versatility and then also support and ethical manufacturing and sustainable more sustainable industry and fashion. So that's really how the brand started. And then ideally, like most of our products, when we first launched, you know, they all had kind of a travel focus to them. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned, we, we started to rebrand originally, actually we rebranded in 2017, no, in 2016. And we really started focusing on that idea of a minimalist wardrobe and the idea that you can do more with less in your closet. And then over the years, that's just become kind of Everything, everybody's just saying that. So we realized to really own what's most special about our brand is the idea that when shoppers come to our store, they don't have to compromise because we do all the research for them. We create products that have that beautiful fit, that comfort. You know, we vet our factories, we work with them weekly. You know, they have exceptional labor standards, our fabrics, 60% of which are made in Toronto. You know, we we figure out how to check all the boxes for our customers so that they don't have to worry about where their product's from and they can feel confident shopping with us. So we really have pivoted in the last year to that idea of the wardrobe that does it all. So whether you're traveling, you know, abroad or staying at home on Zoom calls um, <laughs> or going into a boardroom, you have pieces that you can just feel amazing in. So it's been a bit of a journey. And even our logo has changed from like, I did our original logo design um, with some help from 99designs, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes, and, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's been a journey. I'm sure people can probably find like graphics that I made back in 2012 and they're really awful. Um, but that's part of entrepreneurship, right? You have to start somewhere and start making a mess and then it'll get better as you go forward.
2: Did you find that the re like, if looking back at it now, do you feel like you should have spent more time on the branding or like, cause you know, you rebranded it a couple of times. Like, was there any lessons that, you know, you can share with us about that, that whole process? Totally.
0: Yes. Yes. Good (laughs) question. Absolutely. I should have spent way more time on it. Um, You know, I was so obsessed with getting a product that was like perfect that, you know, I had spent time on like the brand mission and vision and values and that type of thing, because that's something that we often as consultants are teaching to our our clients. So I was very familiar with that process. But I had worked in brand management at Colgate Palmolive um, for a number of years. And, you know, their focus is really on operational transactional. And, um, you know, they do a lot of shopper marketing, what they would call it, which is like working with retailers to essentially market their products. So, you know, with the exception of a few other brands, they're not really heavy into advertising and stuff like that. So that wasn't really my strong suit. Um, I wish I had spent more time on that for sure. And more energy, because I do think that's so important to brands today to have a very clear message that uh, customers can understand and that resonates with them. But I also at the same Front, like I feel like I learned a lot about our customer, and we still have customers from 2012 who shop with us, um, and they've evolved with us as well as we've grown. But yeah, I mean, you always learn something along the way, and and as we evolved, and as our customers kind of grew up a little bit with us too, you know, their needs changed as well in their wardrobe. You know, they weren't necessarily jet setting around the globe for like six months. They were sitting in an office, you know, doing you know building their career. So I'm I'm proud of what we did, but yeah, for sure, whenever I speak to startup on I always recommend, you know, do that work up front and get really clear on your brand. And don't, don't be afraid to like, don't cheap out on that. Don't do the 99 design routes, because I feel like, you know, that having a really slick looking brand is something that consumers really do resonate with.
2: Definitely. I think there's so many really cool points that you brought up and I'm, I wanted to highlight them really quickly so that the listeners can just absorb it. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I think that was really important that everyone needs to know is that creating a product takes so much time.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I, I'm also creating a product and I didn't know how much time and effort goes into it. And I think that people need to be a little bit more prepared about that because it's a huge process, especially if you're going into anything fashion related. Mm -hmm. I did not prepare myself <laughs> <fully> for <laughs> how much work there is and how much that goes into it. We're in, we're a year in and we're still not done. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of work. Um, I think the number two thing that you said was really interesting was that you are, you know, you're focusing on making the perfect product. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, like we, I also am focusing on that, but I think one of the things that is really important and I'm trying to focus on myself is not to be a perfectionist Mm -hmm. um, and to also think of the branding and think about the customer and like what the customer wants, because I might think it's perfect, but also I need to think about like, if my customer thinks it's Mm -hmm. perfect, which I think is really important. And I think the last point, which was super interesting is like, even if you create something from 99designs, for example, um, (laughs) you can still get somewhere. Like, look at you. I mean, it it didn't hold you back, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it didn't look as slick as like Glossier, right? So that's the Is But it's also a different funding model, which I'm sure we'll get into. Like when you, yeah. when you start up and you don't have a lot of money, you know, you're not raising $5 million in seed funding. You, you know, I didn't even know that was an option. Like I didn't yeah. even know people were doing that um, at that time. So you kind of have to be a bit scrappy. So let's get
2: into money now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we're warming up to it <laughs> as entrepreneurs, uh, the, sorry, as entrepreneurs, we know that it takes money to make money, but sometimes, you know, we have a limited amount of money. So we need to make uh, decisions of where we should be investing first. So let's start with how much money did you start off with? And then let's follow that up with what did you invest in first when you started building
0: Encircled and why? So I started with about $20,000 in capital. So I actually sold my car at the time and took all the money and put it into the business. I was still full-time employed, so full disclosure. I was still getting an income from my employer. And so I was just working on Encircled on you know weekends, primarily, sometimes the odd evening if I wasn't traveling. Um, and you know the first thing I did was obviously the product development process. You cannot underestimate that, especially if you're building a product in an industry which you're not super familiar with, which fashion was one, because you're going to have to hire people to help you. So um, in fashion, you know, I had to hire a product developer. I had to hire a pattern maker, a sample maker. Um, You know, I tried to like scrap that together myself, but I was getting nowhere and it was taking a lot of extra time. So like, I think working with experts in product development, if you can find them, some freelancers can really accelerate that process and help you get a better product in the end. Um, I also invested in my website, which is a really interesting story. So I actually got screwed over twice by two different web developers. So I learned a lot in that process, um, originally starting on Shopify, and then my web developer uh, decided she doesn't want to do web development anymore. So I was left with just like half a website done. And I let a developer talk me into using Magento if I'm not A lot of people may not be familiar with that platform, but it's like, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, it's an enterprise platform. So it is definitely not what (laughs) a startup should be using. And it's very, at the time was very confusing, not user-friendly. You needed a developer for everything, which is why he talked me into it. Um, So I wasted a lot of money on website development and eventually switched myself to Shopify Um, in pretty much three months after launching um, and built the whole site myself because I was so frustrated with the web developer. So I definitely wasted a lot of money on that. Uh, We've talked about the branding, which I did on 99designs. I think it was $99. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, a lot of it just went into purchasing materials, um, testing, um, getting some packaging and some hang tags made. And then my probably biggest investment for my launch was... um, A PR firm. So I did hire a PR firm for three months where they were based in Toronto and they pitched my product to a bunch of publications, which was at the time a really great strategy. I was able to get into a lot of press. It's just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a really uh, long-term strategy since I only had one product. So that's kind of the breakdown of how the money went. Um, Definitely my first year of business. So I, I launched in like November, end of November, 2012. So I didn't really have like a full year. Um, Our fiscal year end is December 31st. So that was really only like a month or whatever of revenue. But in the next year, I think we kind of broke even. Um, So we were able to not really turn a profit, but I think we were breaking about even. I wasn't paying myself as I was still employed. But, you know, from there, it definitely grew a lot. But the initial uh, investment was gone pretty quickly, to be honest. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Now, in terms of marketing, how much, I know we, we talked about nine 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 designs, but I'm guessing from what, what I understood was the majority of your budget actually went into product, product development.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, as well. Yeah.
2: And now looking back on that, on when you started, is there anything that you would have done differently in terms of budget allocations?
0: <laughs> yeah. I, well, yes, definitely would have just built my site on Shopify that was I would have DIY'd it because I probably wasted at least like two or three grand on that web developer who ended up blackmailing me for money at one point oh because he was also hosting the site, which is a no-no. So never get a developer who will develop your site and host it on his platform and on his servers because they have full control over your website. They can take it down at any time. So that was a big lesson. Uh, Shopify, thankfully, is not like that. But um, Shopify at the time was pretty new. So I wasn't really sure what it was all about. But um, so I wish I'd done that myself because I probably would have saved myself like two, three grand and taken that money and put it into probably, I think, hiring somebody in graphic design. Because as I mentioned, I don't really have like an advertising or design background. I had bought Creative Suite, Um, I was doing my own graphic design, and I just felt like Ugh, it did not look great. So (laughs) I'm sure it was fine. But I think that idea of like, you know, we got videos. I forgot to mention also, we spent a lot on videos and photography. Not a lot. Looking back, it was like very little money. I had hired a student out of Sheridan College in Toronto to shoot the videos, and we did like, I, hired a model who had retired from modeling, but she would come back. She's a teacher now um, and did a bunch of product shots. And I thought they turned out pretty well. And I think we only spent like $1,000 on them, which is ridiculous now to think about. But I think getting that like initial content and branding down is really important. Um, And you can do it for fairly cheap. I think there's a perception that you have to spend like $20,000 on branding, but you working with a bunch of freelancers and stuff like that, you can probably get a more effective um, brand presence. So I wish I'd been a bit more pro with that and not try to do DIY it as much. Probably.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you touched upon something that was super interesting, which was you hired a student. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's a lot of cost cutting things that you can do as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can hire students or you can ask friends for help. You don't maybe need professional models. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I find, especially with my, like with my launch is that I want everything. First of all, I'm comparing myself with like really big brands out there. And so mm-hmm. I shouldn't be doing that because they probably have much more money than I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yes. laughs> and, um, and I'm thinking like, Oh no, I have to have like five models. And then I have to have like a stylist, you know, and when, the, when I'm thinking about photos and then I have to take myself back a little bit because I'm like, well, I don't have that much money to invest in all of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for someone that's starting out that doesn't have a lot of capital, do you know what should they be DUIing and mm-hmm. what they what should they be hiring for, in your opinion?
0: Yeah, I guess before you like start up for sure, it should be anything that's not probably your zone of genius. You know, um, (laughs) there's certain things you can definitely figure out on your own, you know, packaging and stuff like that. Um, But if you're trying to build a really cohesive brand aesthetic, for sure, getting somebody to help you with graphic design for stuff that's really important, like hang tags and like, um, you know, some key graphics for emails or templates for social media, stuff like that, that you can just drag and drop stuff into, I think can be like a big kind of midway point between that DIY. So if you get somebody to like at some point, fairly early on in encircled. I had somebody build a bunch of uh, Photoshop and, and um, Adobe Illustrator templates for me for the website. So I was able to go in and she was like a professional graphic designer, but she built them. So I was able to go in and then I knew the exact like ratio of size to text with photo to put into them. And it just kind of like, was a little bit more affordable than having a graphic designer do every single one, but gave me that kind of professional look. So I highly recommend trying to look for those types of opportunities. Um, I also think you can teach yourself a lot of things. I taught myself photography uh, fairly early on. I bought a Canon Rebel camera and took some classes online. And I was able, a lot of our first product shots, like other than the the student that I hired, but ongoing, like I shot them myself on the DSLR camera, which was a big learning experience. And I wouldn't like do it today for sure. But I think it was something I could do because I could figure out, you know, my friend, speaking of friends, like reaching out to friends for help, like my friend's husband was a photographer and he was like, I'll do a class for you. I'll just teach you the basics and stuff like that. So always reaching out to your network to see who can help you is really important because there may be, you know, that model, for example, I'd posted on Facebook and my friend's like, oh, my brother's fiance used to be a model. She might be able to help you out. And I paid her, but I didn't have to pay her like, model, model rates, which was good. I didn't have that kind of money. So I think it's like, you can't compare yourself to, you can't compare your day one to somebody's like day 300 or, you know, your $20,000 investment in capital, which is something I have to remind myself often to like Everlane because Everlane's had like $60 million in venture funding. So of course they're going to look super, super pro. Um, so I would just take it, I recommend to entrepreneurs and to you too, to just like, take it easy on yourself because it's not going to be perfect, but as long as you can communicate the product benefits and it looks, you know, a- appealing and enticing, you know, that's like really important, I think as well.
2: Definitely. And, you know, when we're talking about hiring, cause I think that it's also super interesting to maybe talk about, cause you, you know, you hired your web designer and You had a a little bit of some problems with him, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you probably got some really good lessons out of that uh, in terms of hiring and what you should be looking at when you're hiring. Um, But I would also love to go even one step further and, like, once you kind of establish yourself, what was the first like position that you hired at Encircled
0: and why? So, I quit my job in 2014. So, about two years after I launched To The Day Encircled, I um, left my successful management consulting career and just decided, you know, I'm going to do this. And um, so, I ran the business by myself for I think it was about maybe like three months or something like that. And then I ended up taking on an investor at that point, um, an angel investor who took a um, minority equity stake in Encircled. And with that, capital inflow, I was able to get a studio space and move finally out of my condo and get more inventory and do more product expansion. And that was the moment where I felt like super confident that I could hire somebody because I had the funds. I had always been like a little bit leery because I was working out of home too. You know, you couldn't have like employees in your home, it would be weird. Um, But also I think, you know, I, I was afraid that like, the sales would just like dry up and I wouldn't be able to like afford somebody consistently to pay them. And so the first person I hired, she was part-time actually. And basically she would just come, I think three days a week into the studio and do shipping and customer service. She would help out with like um, social media posts and stuff like that. And then I kind of kept all the product development. um, Most of the marketing and email marketing um to myself and and photography and content and stuff like that, but the business started to grow really quickly once I added that first employee because you know those administrative tasks, shipping is one of them, can be a huge time drain. And if you're like a creative person who doesn't do well with those types of tasks, it can really take a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. So when we would have like you know, I remember we got a placement in the Globe and Mail, which is a Canadian newspaper and their gift guide and I was in New York on a client site. This is before I quit my job. And all of a sudden, my phone blew up and we we're getting all these orders. And all I could think about was, oh my God, I had to ship these all when I get home. <laughs> I was like, oh no. I was like so upset about it because I knew it was just me. I was like, I was on the hook for shipping those. And at that time, the shipping process wasn't as savvy as it is now, right? So it was like yeah. printing out a label, cutting it out with scissors, like taping out. It was so ridiculous. So you know, I'd lean on my friends and family to help. But so I always encourage entrepreneurs to think of like the most administrative and I would say like the lowest value use of your time tasks and start by like finding somebody who can help you with that. Obviously, as you scale, like those types of roles would split up. Like right now we have like, I guess, three people in shipping and receiving, we've like, if you had two more for customer love, we have five in that total department. So, you know, roles will expand and specialize the more you grow, but starting out, you can just get one person who can kind of be a DIY, do it all kind of person. And that Mm -hmm. can just take a lot of that stuff off your plate so that you can focus on the more strategic elements of the business. And
2: what are some tips? Like if someone wants to hire someone, Mm -hmm. how can you vet them? (laughs) <laughs> to be able to know that, I mean, I don't think you can a hundred percent vet them because you never, sometimes, you know, you, you'll just get, you'll get lucky and get that one person that's a little, you know, out, out there, mm-hmm. but how do you try to limit that, uh, that possibility of, <laughs> of getting someone that's not the best for your business?
0: Yeah. So I'll talk, I mean, I've learned a ton of lessons on hiring at Encircled because, as I mentioned, when I got that first hire, I was just excited that somebody wanted to work for me. I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Somebody like, I think we put the job posting up and we got like three applicants and I was like, oh my God, there's three people who want to work here. Like it was so, I was like in the mode where I felt like I had to pull people into the business. Um, Now when we put up job postings, we get a lot of applications. So it's a much different scenario. But what I wish I told myself is that you know, Hiring on values is really important. So understanding what your core values are as a brand. And for us, it's thoughtfulness, collaboration, innovativeness. That's really important to us. And asking questions in the interview stage to draw out some of those qualities or values that are really important to your team, I think is integral. I also think that following your intuition is important. So I've ended up hiring a few people where my intuition said to me, this is not the right person. And I let a few people tell me that it was and sometimes myself talk myself into that and it never has worked out. So, you know, when you have like that little ping and you're like, something's not right or like, you know, something about their resume just didn't sit well or that they said that thing in the interview and that was weird. Like, I'm not saying write off people, but oftentimes like that should be something you look into more because that will just amplify the more when they come on board and firing people. Is not fun. It's my least least favorite thing to do as a business entrepreneur, but it is necessary. Yeah. Um, and I'd say three, just be very clear about the job role and the description. So I always tried to go pro with this from the beginning. So write a job description that's really extensive for your job posting. Um, you know, be very clear on what their roles and responsibilities are, how they'll be measured, uh, what success looks like in the role, and then build a process for onboarding employees that will get them. Up to speed really quickly and feeling as part of a team like I think that's something I took from big corporations that they did really well was like how they bring people like when I worked at Colgate and PwC like they were really good at um, integrating new hires into the business so just those like all those things that you would think are like really boring but really necessary like training on key systems and on the brand and like you know time off policies so that people feel like they can hit the ground running and really contribute.
2: I think what you said that was really important is understanding your brand values and making sure that your company and the people that work for your company share those brand values. And this is why I think branding is so important, because if you don't know what your values are as a brand, how can you expect your employees to really um, to really believe in those values and to be able to like really put themselves into your business if they don't know what you stand for. Mm -hmm. And I think it's super important to be able to understand that and, and really go through the branding process. So what you said was like spot on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, now I kind of wanted to back up just a little bit because I know that you said that you worked Mm -hmm. for, um, for a bit before you had encircled, but you were also working full time. Mm Now, because so I have this idea or I have this notion that because, you know, when you're starting a business with limited capital, I feel that a lot of people do that. They work and they do the the business as a side hustle Mm -hmm. because they need to have that extra income because your business won't take off right away and it won't generate full-time income right away. Yeah. Now, do you not regret, but I mean, looking back at all of this what kind of advice would you give to people who are also maybe have limited capital? Maybe they're doing it as a side hustle. Like what should they be doing or what what kind of advice would you give those types of entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah. I think it's really specific to your life situation too, and your financial situation. Like at the time I was single, I was, you know, living by myself. I had a fairly expensive apartment because I just come from a corporate career where i was making like six figures so my lifestyle was um hard to sustain i i knew i had to make changes in it which can be itself like really humbling experience um but also i wasn't like just new in my career so i hadn't just like dropped like out of university i'd been in my career like 10 11 years so the decision mm-hmm. to like leave that was was a really tough one for me i'll be honest because i was in my perceivably dream job that I really wanted to get into consulting my whole career and but I'd now like kind of lost my spark or passion for it Mm -hmm. so I would say like you know when I was quitting my job like the one when I was working the last two years kind of like I guess side hustling the most important things are like save as much money as possible so you know um always have like a backup emergency savings account. And I think we've seen that more than ever in the last, um, year, obviously with the pandemic, that it's so important business and personal to have savings. Um, so don't underestimate the importance of that. And automated savings are like my go-to like something that will take money out of your account and put it into a a separate account. That's harder to access. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like really good. If you're bad at budgeting like myself. Um, and I would say like, give your, uh, give your full-time job your all. So a lot of people will turn and be like, oh, I hate this job. I just want to be in my business full-time. And of course we all feel that, but also like, it's really important to give your focus, your full-time focus to the job that's paying your income, you know, and those, connections from your business, um, you know, from from your full-time job, are they may be really important later on. I've gotten a ton of support from people who I used to work with at PwC and at ThoughtWorks and at Colgate, you know, because I was giving my attention to that job and I was doing my all and I wasn't letting it impact my performance because, you know, you never want to burn bridges because you never know where those connections actually might take you later in life with your business. So I think that's really important too. Um, and then just you know do a lot of introspective work and decide for yourself when you're ready and just be you know prepared for not everybody to be on board with that um decision and that was something i definitely experienced when i quit my job in end of november 2014 you know my whole family was like not on board with it. I got uninvited from Christmas uh, from both my dad and my mom. Um, My dad wouldn't speak to me for like six months. My mom, I had to have like a serious talk with her about supporting the brand. She's now really, really supportive, but you have to be like really strong in your conviction because a lot of people are going to think you're out of your mind. And that's like, okay, because it's not normal to build a career. And then all of a sudden say, okay, no, I'm going to start a fashion brand in, you know, a sustainable fashion brand. Like people thought I was crazy. So you have to be really strong in your convictions and believe in yourself because others are going to question your decision. If you let that get into your head too much when you're trying to quit your job, um, you never will.
2: Exactly. I mean, it's same with me, my parents are they don't even want to know. they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever <laughs> when where what I don't understand, okay, okay, they're just like they think it's like a passing phase, you know, like yeah. it's okay, she'll grow out of it, she'll grow out of it mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> no.
0: so I know. definitely definitely get it
2: yeah uh, I know that you said that you did uh you did find someone that um invested into your company, mm-hmm. yeah is there any advice that you would give? I mean, entrepreneurs or business, like individuals that are looking to get investors or, Mm -hmm. or are thinking of that process? Like how did that go? And what would you, what would you advise them uh, entrepreneurs to do?
0: Yeah. So at the time, you know, as I mentioned, when I started my business, I wasn't even aware that there was like (laughs) investing in business was a thing. It is not, it was not as popular as it is now. Like now, now there's so many people that have like Little venture funds and all these like ex Google employees that like do seed investments. And that whole network was like not known to me at all. Like I had no idea how to navigate it or, or even that it existed. Uh, you know, I saw Kickstarter and those types of things as being like a funding model. And then Eventually, I applied for Dragon's Den, which is in Canada, it's like a similar to Shark Tank, uh, where you go on and pitch your business to a bunch of dragons, successful, um, you know, CEOs and founders. And I got on the show. So that was kind of the first step because I put myself out there. And through that process, I had to put up a pitch, I had to like figure out a valuation. I had to, you know, put some consideration and did a lot of research online. And into like how much equity you should give up. You you know, I had Mm -hmm. no idea. I really had to um, DIY that to a certain extent. And then basically what happened was the show filmed. um, It never aired. And the deals that I got on the show fell through in due diligence. So I never actually got the investment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was obviously devastated. And then um, an investor who had reached out before, who I wasn't really sure if they were like serious and who they were, because um, I hadn't heard of them, uh, you know, reached out again, and I was like, "I'm like, oh, I'll just take a meeting and see what they have to say." Mm-hmm. And that process, I'm very lucky that this this investor actually went forward with. And I think they probably could have totally taken advantage of me, to be honest, because I had no idea what I was doing. I had, you know, I just learned what I could on the internet. So I would give advice to people. Um, you know, back then I didn't have an extensive network, but. I think meeting other entrepreneurs and networking with other entrepreneurs is so, so important, especially trying to reach out to people who are like a little bit ahead of you mm-hmm. uh, for advice, um, whether it's even just like, you know, supporting them on Instagram and commenting on their posts and, you know, maybe try, try to DM them. Don't be annoying. But like, if you can set up like a little call with them or something like that, um, because I wish I'd talked to somebody who had done this before me, because I feel like I would have been able to do a better job negotiating. I think I'm very blessed that my investor was very fair and reasonable and mm-hmm. I had a good valuation at the time for my business, but that could have gone totally sideways. Like I could have been that person giving away 50% of their business for like no money. And then today I'd be like, oh my God, that was really dumb. So I think becoming educated and now there's a lot of resources. Like I think there's one called, um, I'll have to look it up and I'll, I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes, but it's like a, a female uh, funding Organization that teaches, you know, founders how to go through that investment process and what the steps are, and what types of investors there are, and what a Series A is, and all that kind of stuff. So I think just figuring out and getting educated on that is really paramount, and then putting your brand out there. So the more you can get your brand in press um, and out there, and in articles and all that kind of stuff, that can be a really great way to attract investors. You know, we've had a ton of great press in the last year and. I've never had more people email us, um, wanting to invest and they don't know how much your business does in revenue and stuff like that, but they see you out there and they're like, Ooh, this could be something cool. So I think just continuing to put yourself out there is really important to attracting investors as well.
2: That's really interesting. Yeah. Now I know that we already, we've already touched upon this, but I want to kind of do like a roundup (laughs) and, uh, Just really focus on the tips that you would give other entrepreneurs, maybe like two or three of the ultimate tips, the most important tips that you would give an entrepreneur that's launching their brand with
0: limited capital. So I would have definitely, this surprises some people, but I would have hired somebody sooner than I did. Um, Because I think the impact, especially in early stages of businesses of hiring employees to help you. Um, the first few hires, like the first three hires were super incremental to the business. So like with every new hire, I would hit a new revenue level because I was able to focus in on product development or marketing um, versus like some admin tasks. So I would have like probably hired somebody a little bit sooner and been a little bit more flexible with it. So oftentimes we think we need to go all in with an employee and have like a full-time employee and they got to have benefits and they got to have this. Like, no, some people are okay with starting off part-time And, you know, maybe it will turn into full-time in the future. And even if you can only have them maybe one day a week, then you can work them up to, like, you know, five eventually. So taking that kind of, like, slow process to that, but hiring a little bit sooner, I think, would have accelerated our growth faster. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say also, like, tuning into um, your customer is really important. So we talked about that a little bit in the branding section, but from a product development standpoint, like I did a lot of testing on who I thought my core customer would be. Like, you know, would this product, would they love this? Do they like the fabric? You know, you know, the original Chrysalis Cardi had like 25 ways to wear. And mm-hmm. when I was testing it on people, they were like, you know, we'll never figure out how to do any of these looks. <laughs> it's like too too complicated. So I'm glad I found that out. You know, and I wouldn't have found that out had I not tested it in a bunch of friends and family and opened myself up to Potentially, like really negative feedback and stuff like that, because it was a very early stage process. Um, And the other thing, which I think is like most important for entrepreneurs, is to just persevere. So, you're never going to get it right on the first try. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to ship the order to the wrong person. You're going to have a return come back and charge you duty. You know, you're going to post something weird on social and people won't like it. Like, just you're going to make mistakes. So just be kind to yourself and take lessons from it as much as you can and learn uh, from it. And don't be too hard on yourself because entrepreneurship is a journey and it's never going to be easy and perfect, but it is going to be something that I feel like is incredibly valuable and enriching to your life.
2: Amen. (laughs) Amen. And I think I would even also add, like I said before, stop comparing yourself to the big people because they already started they started and they probably were not the best at the beginning and they just grew from that you know mm-hmm. i think i say this in a lot of the podcast episodes but we always give the examples with branding of like disney and patagonia mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. apple and we tend to compare ourselves as entrepreneurs to these really big companies but they all started somewhere and i think the most important thing is just to start
0: Right. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I still fall trapped to comparisonitis. Like, I (laughs) still will go on Instagram and I'll be like, oh my God, look at that brand. Like, they're so big and it's successful and their images are so good. Like, instead of that, like, celebrate their successes and see what you can learn from it um, to make your brand better.
2: And don't, and invest your money wisely. Especially yes. if you have limited capital.
0: <laughs> totally. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. Be very like intentional and build a budget. That was really helpful to me. Also having like a rough budget of where I would spend that money, um, and then like don't be afraid to invest in quality sometimes where you need it. So and follow your intuition. So if if something feels off, whether it's with a web developer, an employee, or um, you know some a freelancer or a factory, like don't ignore that pay attention to that.
2: And on that note, we're going to be wrapping up this episode. I have to say that I learned a lot today and I, I was loving this conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, if people want to reach out to you, they want to chat with you, where exactly can they find you and also encircled?
0: Sure. So you can find Encircled on Instagram at encircled underscore. That's E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-D underscore. Um, And our website is encircled.ca. And you can find me on Instagram at Christy Sumer. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-S-O-O-M-E-R. And my website is just christysumer.com where you can check out my podcast, Brave and Boss, um, and all my blog posts and courses and stuff like that for entrepreneurs.
2: Yeah. And I would highly recommend anyone who's listening to listen to Chrissy's podcast. I absolutely love it. I listen to all like all the episodes and they're chock full of great information. So thank you so much, Christy. And uh, we'll see everyone uh, again soon.
1: Okay. Thanks, Yvonne. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Branding Lab podcast with your host, Yvonne Ivanescu. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, or leave us a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you next time.